Welcome back to the Foreign Desk Podcast. I'm Lisa Deftari. Today we have uh, a topic that's not so, uh, I should say, celebratory, but um, nonetheless, we've been following this for a year. We're talking about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. We brought this guest on, a very, very special guest because he, of his access, because of his perspective uh, on watching the withdrawal from Afghanistan, watching the country change in the past year. We brought him on uh, right after the U.S. had withdrew from Afghanistan last August, and we're bringing him back again today to talk about all the changes we're seeing on the ground as the Taliban take over that country. I'd like to welcome back to the show Ali Maysam Nazari, who is currently the National Resistant Front's foreign relations head. Uh, He has a very unique perspective, as I said, in having uh, really being the the liaison for such an important group of Afghan fighters. These are the Afghan people. These are the fighters who uh, were on the ground. They were part of the former military, part of the former government, and risking their lives uh, to save their country, to fight for their country, and stay back and not leave their country. Welcome back to the program, Ali. Uh, thank you very much, Lisa. It's great to be back, and uh, I'm looking forward to a productive show today. I'm willing to answer any questions you might have. Well, thank you. I mean, my first question to you is um, obviously, you know, describe for us um, what you're seeing from your perspective in terms of the changes you've seen in the last year. I mean, what does the country look like? What are some of the major changes you've seen? And just describe what's going on over there. Well, to uh, summarize what we've uh, seen in the past year is everything we predicted, everything we forecasted a year ago uh, came true. Um, Last year, when we kept warning the international community, when we kept warning um, everyone not to trust the Taliban, the Taliban uh, is still a terrorist group. They're uh, going to turn Afghanistan to a sanctuary for international terrorism. Uh, they're going to be a threat to global security. They're going to oppress women. They're going to violate human rights. They're going to start committing atrocities and war crimes. And they're not going to be uh, able to uh, govern Afghanistan and will cause the economy to collapse and will create a humanitarian crisis. Everything we said a year ago came true today. It's been a year, and now everyone is starting to realize what we've predicted more than a year ago, and uh, especially after August 15th when the Republic fell and the uh, Taliban terrorists came to power. Uh, Yet, uh, we see, uh, we are optimistic today. Uh, We see hope in the horizon. Uh, In the past year, our organization, the National Resistance Front of Afghanistan, has been able to expand without any international support, any country coming to our aid. Uh, We've uh, been able to achieve so much, show our competence, and uh, challenge the Taliban to a point where uh, they are uh, facing strategic defeat, especially in northern Afghanistan. Uh, there's there's so much to unpack here, but first let me start with. I mean, I gave a very uh, loose description of what the National Resistance Front is. Um, you know, in your own words, what is this group exactly? What's their goal? Who is it comprised of, etc.? The National Resistance Front, or uh, the acronym NRF, 
is the last remaining anti-terrorist forces, the last remaining democratic forces in the country, fighting for a democratic republic, uh, fighting for a decentralized political system, fighting for the rights of every single citizen inside Afghanistan in order to create a society, a pluralistic society, where every single citizen, regardless of race, religion, and gender, will enjoy equal rights. At the same time, we're the last remaining forces fighting against the Taliban terrorists, regional terrorist groups, and international terrorist groups who are inside Afghanistan, who have presence inside the country. Our organization is led by uh, Ahmad Massoud. He's the son of the late commander Ahmad Shah Massoud, who was assassinated two days before 9-11 by Al-Qaeda. Uh, and he's someone educated in London, uh, had received military uh, training in Sandhurst Military Academy, and then uh, pursued a, a undergraduate and graduate studies in the UK. Uh, someone clean who wasn't involved in the corruption of the past 20 years. And someone who has shown strong leadership in the past year. He's been able to sustain the amount of... Uh, uh, forces he had a year ago, not only was he able to sustain them, but to expand his reach, expand his forces, and today successfully um, challenge the Taliban, something that uh, the uh, coalition forces more than a year ago and Afghanistan's former ANSF was unable to do. And now we believe that it was because of the weak leadership and the flawed strategy that uh, uh, that existed back then. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's what I wanted to get to in that last year when we spoke, it was mainly about the resistance front trying to roll up their sleeves and not give up and keep pushing back the Taliban. But obviously, the headlines tell us that the Taliban not only uh, are able or have been able to make their uh, reign on the country legitimate, it's been recognized by the international community. They're getting aid from the United States. They gave them about 55 million or so extra um, for the uh, earthquake that probably never went to the people of Afghanistan and, and in total gave them $1 billion over the last 365 days um, based on you know invest investigative reporting. This is not something that the uh, administration shows off so openly. Uh, maybe when it comes to the earthquake they did, but obviously it's not something they want to show off because I think the average person is becoming aware of the fact that it's going to the Taliban. I mean, what are the chances that the National Front has at this point when there is this much legitimacy given to a terror group like the Taliban? Well, we, we do face challenges, um, but uh, we have faced such challenges before where we were left all alone, abandoned. Last time was from 1992 to 2001 the international community ignored Afghanistan. And for uh, years, we fought against international terrorism all alone, and we were able to sustain our resistance and to contain the Taliban and their terrorist allies. So we're, we're confident enough that we will be able to liberate our country regardless of the international community's uh, position vis-a-vis -vis Afghanistan. But what's important is that the threat inside Afghanistan isn't only directed towards Afghanistan's people, but we're seeing a legitimate threat emanating from Afghanistan to global security. And we saw what happened last time when 
Afghanistan was ignored and the ta and there was engagement and interaction with the Taliban back in the 1990s. I, I don't have to repeat myself or explain this. Everyone knows this, especially your watchers in, in the United States, how international terrorism used that opportunity to take root in Afghanistan and start planning yes. attacks in the region and especially on U.S. soil on 9-11 and uh, I, after that as well. To my point before, I mean, how how important will it be to get uh, support from the United States? And, and and frankly, why aren't you getting it? I think that's that's the, the astounding thing. We did an exclusive piece, again, to, to the same point. We did an exclusive piece at the Foreign Desk. We reached out. There was um, a story about the National Resistance Front being able to um, take over in Baglan province. It was a story that I think we reached out to you and your organization for comments about this. And so the foreign desk reached out to the State Department and said, we want we want comments about this. We did not expect this at all. We were floored by the response. Um, but the, the, the State Department said, we are monitoring the recent uptick in violence closely. We call on all sides to exercise restraint and to engage. This is the only way Afghanistan can confront its many challenges. We want to see the emergence of a stable and sustainable political dispension uh, via peaceful means. Um, and that the U.S. is not uh, supporting organized violent op opposition to the Taliban, and we would discourage other powers from doing so as well. Oh my God! Not only are they equating both sides, you know, to each other, the resistance forces and a, and a terror organization, the Taliban, but they are calling on any opposition to the Taliban to stop, and for any international support for your organization to stop as well. This is going beyond staying neutral. This is defending the Taliban against any opposition. Yes, of course. And um, let me explain one thing to your viewers. One is the NRF's military wing is made up of the former ANSF personnel. All of those soldiers and officers and personnel who were trained, funded, and advised by the U.S. and other NATO countries for the past 20 years. These people did not flee the country. These people did not abandon the fight. On August 15th, as the Republic collapsed and the Taliban entered Kabul, thousands of ANSF forces went into Pineshire in the north and declared the resistance when Commander Ahmad Massoud went from Kabul to Pineshire. He gathered all these forces and together they declared the National Resistance Front. They formed the National Resistance Front and pledged their allegiance to Ahmad Massoud. So it's the same forces who were fighting the Taliban and, and international terrorists before August 15th. They've just continued their fight, their resistance under a new banner. Why? Why was this fight? Why was this resistance righteous and legitimate before August 15th when the United States and NATO was present inside the country? Why is it delegitimized today? Why is it being condemned today? We, this is something that we do not understand. Why was it righteous more than a year ago and not today? It's the same forces who are fighting the Taliban. It's the same enemies. We haven't changed what if you the had enemies. To, what if you had to answer your own question? Why is it? Well, uh, I don't have the answer because for me, it's confusing. I, I am confused mm -hmm. why such a position. And it's not only a, a specific country. There's many countries around the globe who have the same position today, especially countries who did fund, train, and advise these forces for 20 years. 
And one thing that I want to uh, point out, Lisa, is that our current fight isn't a civil war, uh, especially for Americans who are viewing this program. We are not fighting a civil war. When, we're, when we have Arabs attacking us, mm -hmm. uh, terrorists speaking Arabic from the Middle East and North Africa, Chechens, Uyghurs, South Asians, Central Asians, and uh, terrorists from all over the Muslim world, we cannot characterize this as a civil war. This is the continuation of the global war on terror. And after yeah. August 15th, the global war on terror did not end. It's just the United States and other NATO yeah. countries, they abandoned the global war on terror. And the NRF is the last remaining anti-terrorist fight fighters continuing the global war on terror today. So this is why yeah. we're asking for an international yeah. effort, international supports for our resistance, because this, is, this resistance isn't only for Afghanistan security. It's for global security today. It's to prevent terrorist attacks throughout the globe in the future. Mm. If, if we do not prevent, uh, uh, if we do not contain terrorism and eradicate terrorists inside Afghanistan today, it's going to become a global problem uh, tomorrow and in the future for us. Speaking of, of a global problem with terrorism, we're on the eve of perhaps hearing about uh, an, an Iran nuclear deal at any moment uh, that will uh, free up billions of dollars to go back into terror. So along the same lines of why, when you're looking at, you know, the Iranian people, I mean, this is, these are people we speak to day in and day out across the uh, population spectrum on the, for the most part are against the regime. I mean, why, why isn't this voice being heard? And I'd like to, you know, ask you about the same thing with Afghanistan. I mean, uh, we're talking about the macro, but let's bring it in a little bit. What percentage of the people do you think, or would you estimate are for the Taliban are behind them? Who are those people? And then what percentage of the population are just complying just to survive? So the vast majority of Afghanistan's people are against the Taliban. Um, and I, there's many sources I could use. Every, so every year, many uh, NGOs would have surveys conducted inside Afghanistan from 2002 right. up to 2021. And in every survey every year, only about 17%, 15 to 17% of the population showed support for the Taliban. This is one, mm -hmm. one indication of how much the, the people inside Afghanistan supported this group. Two. In the past 20 years, the Taliban, a few times a year, would issue statements, would call upon the uh, people to rise up against the U.S. and NATO countries and against the Republic. But we never saw a general uprising inside Afghanistan. We never saw a mass uprising mm -hmm. anywhere in the country in the past 20 years. So this is another indication that the population did not support the Taliban. And three. The support the people of Afghanistan showed for democracy in the past 20 years, their participation in elections, their participation in the civil society and uh, other institutions that came into being after 2001, their support for human rights, women's rights, freedom of speech. And Afghanistan was an example for freedom of speech for the past 20 years before August 15. But there was false assumptions made in the last few years that Afghanistan's people do not want democracy, that these people are uh, extremists and they support the Taliban, but that wasn't true. Today, the NRF might not have most of Afghanistan's geography, but one thing that we have the Taliban lack is legitimacy, is popular support. Wherever we go right now, last year, we started from two provinces, 
from Pineshire province and in a valley in Bahlan province, which is adjacent to Pineshire. Today, we're present in 12 provinces and actively, actively fighting in six provinces on a weekly basis. And the people welcome our resistance. They're fed up with terrorists. They want their country liberated. They want democracy. They want their rights. They want their freedom. If they didn't want it, they would have stood against us. They would have joined hands with the Taliban and they would have restrained us. And <laughs> trust me, inside Afghanistan, if you have the population against you, especially with a uh, st strong force that has $7 billion worth of uh, NATO arms today, uh, we wouldn't have been able to expand to 12 provinces today. So we have to support our vision for a democratic and free Afghanistan has support within the population. And as every day passes, we're getting more recruits, we're getting more support, and we're able to spread so, throughout the country. Again, this is mind-boggling because I'm listening to you. I mean, I we, we know this, we read this, we understand this, and I'm listening to you as somebody who obviously, you know, lives this day in and day out. And then I think to myself, you know, there are, I mean, it's a very political issue here in the United States, as you know. Um, you know, and I want to tell the viewers, Ali is able to travel back and forth as uh, a, as a representative of uh, the uh, NRF to go to Washington, but also be in the Middle East and the surrounding areas um, to really have a pulse on what's going on both in Washington and in the in the region. So he does have that very unique perspective. But the one thing that I know, Ali, that you're you're aware of is that, you know, in in our own legislative bodies, we have congressmen and senators coming out and saying. You know, because of what's happening in the with, with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, you know, ISIS-K and Al-Qaeda have a new um, safe haven and their influence is going to grow in Afghanistan and the Taliban's influence is growing and they're a terrorist arm. And then you have the Democrats who are ignoring it all because they don't want to obviously criticize uh, President another one of President Biden's foreign policy moves. So, you know, why? I mean, there's so much logic to what you're saying in the sense that People don't want this. And the same thing, it's very parallel to what we're seeing in Iran. People don't want this. Here's the alternative. Why, why, is, why isn't the United States and uh, international community giving this more support, particularly when the uh, NRF has the ability, they know the people, they're not an imported group, they are you know, well-recognized, as you said, they have the legitimacy and they represent the people of Afghanistan. We did stories over the last year uh, at the Foreign Desk on, you know, women having to have secret schools. That's one of the articles I'm, I'm, I'm citing here. Another article on Afghan mothers selling their children to buy food. I mean, th this is un un unbelievable. When you say that over the last 20 years, with the U.S. being there, with there being a presence, that this was not the case. I mean, the fact that it changed so quickly within one year only tells us it's going to get much worse going forward. Of course. Uh, like I said, there, there were false assumptions about Afghanistan and then a false narrative and uh, uh, false narrative being promoted by the Taliban and wishful thinking on the part of uh, especially Western countries when it came to the Taliban fulfilling their promises when it came to women's rights, human rights, uh, inclusive uh, government and severing ties with terrorism. We saw none of that um, be realized by the Taliban and fulfilled by the Taliban. Um, and so basically everyone is out of touch uh, from reality. The reality on the ground is something else. As every day passes, Al-Qaeda is gaining strength. Uh, other terrorist groups um, are gaining strength. Uh, the Taliban 
uh, our, their rhetoric is changing. It's becoming more radical. Um, I don't know if um, you've heard the recent speeches of the, the, the so-called Supreme Leader of the Taliban, Mullah Hibatullah. Uh, he's been calling for a continuous jihad. So he, one of his statements was that jihad will continue until the end of times. Our jihad hasn't ended. We have to help our brothers in arms throughout the Muslim world. And so he's trying to export his so-called Islamic Emirate throughout the uh, region and throughout the globe. Uh, recently, a new movement came into being in northern Afghanistan made up of Tajik nationals from Central Asia, from Tajikistan. It's called the Taliban Movement of Tajikistan. And they're uh, aspiring to uh, form an Islamic Emirate in Central Asia and to destabilize Central Asia, which will cause, uh, cause it to pour over into the Caucasus and then towards Eastern Europe and Western Europe and the Middle East. So you're, as every day passes, not only are the former terrorist groups returning to Afghanistan and gaining strength, but we're seeing new terrorist groups also form. And all of them are receiving support and assistance from the Taliban. Uh, right now, the $7 billion worth of arms and equipment are being distributed to these terrorist groups inside Afghanistan. The Taliban are distributing ID cards and passports to these terrorists, uh, foreign terrorists foreign fighters from other countries what are they going to do with these passports stay and uh, build new lives inside afghanistan no they're going to use it as a tool to infiltrate into uh, other countries so this is what's happening today in afghanistan the taliban are exploiting afghanistan's uh whatever was left for them uh, and they're using it to strengthen terrorist groups we're seeing u.s made arms end up in places like kashmir today end up in mm -hmm. the hands of uh, Kashmiri terrorists and other terrorists in the region. So the disastrous withdrawal today has been consequential, and we're seeing its consequences today after a year. And it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse, and we've been warning this for, for the past year, even before that. And right now, once again, we're warning that there's still time to do something mm -hmm. in Afghanistan. And, and the best option is to strengthen the last remaining anti-terrorist forces in the country, the last remaining democratic forces who are, who are trained in counterterrorism, who are capable of countering terrorists, are capable of liberating their country, because in the past year, with limited amount of resources, they've been able to show that. So if they are supported, if they are assisted, imagine their abilities and their uh, capability of liberating Afghanistan from this nightmare. And we just don't see this understanding um, elsewhere. And uh, we're still going to try. And uh, I've, I've been uh, reaching out to um, all countries who share our vision, who are against terrorism, who feel that there is a threat inside Afghanistan. Um, sure. But at the moment, we are not receiving any support or assistance. You, you told me your office is in Washington, D.C., that's correct? Yes. Uh, has the Biden administration tried to reach out to you at all for any briefings or information or anything you can tell them about what you know? So we've had indirect engagements, nothing direct, um, and we do not know the reasons. For, um, the... Now my question is, and I'll tell you my point, because perhaps there's information that you can't share with us, and I don't, don't want to, for you to compromise um, you know, anything uh, that you, you're not able to, but um, my question is, we are kind of getting to the point to say, you know, is this by design or is this for lack of information?
And when they have someone like you who's a resource and is a direct uh, representative of this uh, people's movement inside Afghanistan, and you're in Washington, D.C., so it's not like they have to go looking for you, um, you know, why aren't they using their resources? Why are they defending the Taliban and telling the, uh, you know, National Resistance Front to back down? You know, why are they allowing them to come perhaps to the U.N. again and, and take away their sanctioned uh, travel ban? Recently, I'll share it with the audience. Um, as of 2011, the Security Council had uh, sanctions and travel bans on, on Taliban members, over, I think, 120 or 30 of them. And um, that actually a, a handful of them were recently given special permission to come and to sit down and to have special meetings. Now, these travel, this travel ban across the board expired last Friday. On Monday, it came to vote at the uh, United Nations. And guess what? It was a tie. It was a tie. So half of the people voting there believe that the Taliban should travel freely. Why not? Yes. And uh, well, fortunately, the exemptions were not uh, were not extended. And I believe this is um, a very positive development, which we welcome. But I believe that uh, this should stay. Um, right. The Taliban for the past year very, had sorry, the opportunity. Yes. Yeah. No, no. My point is that it's very tell. It, it's it should be unanimously banned, right? But it's but it's, it's a, it came to a tie, and and as you said, thankfully it won't be um, extended. But it, is it not shocking that half the voting members believe that they should be allowed to? Of course, uh, for us it's surprising and shocking to see um, the Taliban supported by anyone or allowing any anyone allowing the Taliban to have a platform outside of Afghanistan today. Right, right. Because they, they've, they've exploited such platforms for the past few years since they were granted these uh, exemptions. And they started uh, deceiving everyone, um, especially the United States uh, in, in Doha and with the agreement that was signed and with the whole uh, process of withdrawing from Afghanistan and after that as well. So. I don't see the point of, of allowing them to have this platform anymore, a platform there where they're able to deceive uh, different countries, able to... Are they really deceiving, though, Ali? I'm sorry to cut you off. Uh, the, the, my point is this. Are they really deceiving because... The Taliban came in and said, oh, no, 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 we're the new and improved Taliban. We're not going to do any of that, you know, uh, human rights abuses and things like that. That was the old Taliban. The new Taliban is going to be all modern and we're going to be good to women and we're going to be good to this and good to that. And guess what? It didn't take them even weeks or months to start doing a 180 on everything. Women don't go to school for the most part. Women can't leave the home without a, a chaperone. Women have to dress from head to toe covered. Even the newscasters had to change the way that they uh, uh, anchor the news. Um, you know, and it goes on and on. And the poverty and the money is not going to the people and the electricity and the, I mean, everything. So meaning, are they truly deceiving anyone anymore? They're being themselves, but they're still getting the perks. One of the craziest stories we covered here was when Christiana Mampur, a very well-recognized journalist and analyst, more so than that, she's an Iranian woman like myself. So this is why it's mind-boggling to me. In the uh, in the aftermath of Roe v. Wade that was announced here in the United States, she came out and said, we have a, a meeting with the Taliban next week. They're not going to respect us now that we uh, reversed Roe v. Wade. I mean, to to give the Taliban this kind of legitimacy and respect when they've proven themselves. 
It's not like they're trying to hide it. The Taliban are being completely transparent by not giving women any rights. And for Christiana Montfort and many others to defend them and to say, oh, now they're going to judge us because of this reversal of Roe v. Wade, it's mind-boggling. But why is it that they're able to be themselves? Human rights abuses are crazy, but it's not being communicated in a way that is reversing the policy that's coming out of the White House. Unfortunately, we do see a policy of appeasement towards the Taliban by many countries. Um, and uh, we've been saying this again for the past year. We've been conveying our messages through different lines of communication, different channels to different countries, especially in the West. Um, but unfortunately, we haven't received any response. And again, this policy of appeasement keeps uh continuing without any change the taliban did not fulfill their promises when it came to women's rights or and even the bare minimum was uh granting the right to attain education for women and they right. didn't even right. do that right uh, and it's not even with, it's yes. right and it's not sorry we're not even using the leverage for aid to 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 push for that to say okay here's a check but those women have to go to school you know there's no there's no you know slap on the wrist to say you know you have to cut back on some of these human rights abuses or you have to do this or you have to do that. The Taliban are meeting with the Chinese. They're meeting with the Iranian government. They're meeting with the Russians. And yet the checks keep coming and the legitimacy keeps coming. Yes. And, and we uh, ourselves, we've been waiting for some positive change in policy, uh, but we haven't seen any, especially after uh, Ayman al-Zawahiri was found in the heart of Kabul, uh, mm -hmm. a mile away from the former presidential palace. Uh, I thought that the reaction would be much greater, but we're just seeing that that is even being ignored today. And they're trying to um, craft and form a narrative where Ayman al-Zawahiri was a lone Al-Qaeda figure and leader. After him, Al-Qaeda isn't going to regroup and uh, right. uh, regain right. its strength right. anymore. But we're seeing something right. different inside Afghanistan. We're seeing as every day passes, a new generation is coming up and receiving legitimacy or gaining uh, strength and are expanding into Afghanistan. A new generation of Al-Qaeda, building their training camps, cooperating with Absolutely. the Taliban in all four corners of Afghanistan. And again, no reaction, especially after finding the leader of Al-Qaeda in the heart of Kabul. Exactly right. And you, you saw that PR job by the news and they wanted to celebrate the fact that the Biden administration captured Zawahiri rather than to say, hello, there's a big network of Al-Qaeda here, which is the real story, not just that he was captured. And I'm so sorry, I keep interrupting you and I keep rushing you, but right. we're almost out of time. But I do want to get to this last question because I brought you here and this is this is your, your time to, and to use this platform to give us um, this very critical piece of information. What would be the Santa Claus's list, what would be the ideal list of things that the resistance front would need in order to make a true difference, in order to make gains and to have perhaps a chance at getting Afghanistan back? So what we need is our forces today have the morale and motivation and the ability to defend their people, their values, their rights, and to fight for their country's liberation. They have shown that, they've proved that in the past year, we have strong leadership, so we have all of that. What we don't have is one, the political support of the international community. Stop the policy of appeasement towards the Taliban. That's what, first and foremost, 
that's one of our main asks from the international community. Two is, once again, we're not fighting a civil war. We're fighting the continuation of the global war on terror. So this has to be an international effort in order for us to fight terrorist groups who have more than $7 billion worth of US and NATO arms, we need something to acquire an edge in the battlefield. And I, I'm, I'm sure the international community uh, understands what our specific needs are when I, when I do convey this. So we need capabilities in order to accelerate Afghanistan's liberation without material support from the international com uh, community and regional countries who do uh, feel threat threatened from terrorism inside Afghanistan, we will be able to liberate our country gradually. We will continue our resistance, fight for our freedom, fight for our right. But to accelerate this uh, fight for liberation, for democracy and freedom, and to prevent a catastrophe, a terrorist attack, like 9-11 and other uh, ter uh, terrorist attacks that happen, we have to accelerate this, uh, this uh, struggle, uh, this resistance, and that will only come if there is um, an international effort helping and supporting the National Resistance Front. Okay, you heard it there. We, I mean, we're, we're, we're lucky to have you as an asset to tell us really what the people of uh, Afghanistan are experiencing, what they're telling you, what uh, the, the, the fighters are willing to do and that they're there. They just need the international community support. It's as easy as that. If only uh, Washington would be listening in on this conversation. Thank you so much, Ali. Be safe. Please come back onto the show and keep uh, updating us on what's going on on the ground there and uh, give the people of Afghanistan our love and support for a better future. We're thinking of that. Thank you very much, Lisa. And to all of you at home would like to subscribe to our podcast, you can do so on YouTube, youtube.com slash Lisa Daftari, or on any of the platforms where you get your podcasts. We're on all of them. And if you'd like to subscribe to our daily top 10 email to stay on top of all the daily news stories, you can go to foreigndesknews.com and sign up there. Thank you so much.